What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Logos Podcast. I'm Max. I am Sam. I'm Joey. And on today's episode for you all, we have a guest coming all the way from the southern region, (laughs) Um, Father Brett Brannon. He is a diocesan priest uh, for, for the Diocese of Savannah, Georgia. And he is a professor and a, sorry, he's a spiritual director at our seminary. And so over the past couple of years, we've grown fond of him. And um, in one of our previous episodes, we discussed the aspects of the priesthood and um, particular the uh, Dominican priesthood, right? Having uh, Father Father Peter Tottlebin on uh, all the way from Rome. And today we have Father Brett Brennan, where he is going to uh, give us some insights and discuss the difference between a religious priest and a diocesan priest, as well as some of the aspect aspects of his own priesthood and tell us about himself so father thank you for coming on today you're welcome glad to be here and uh it's a great work you all are doing so congratulations yeah thank you yeah we're really important and uh (laughs) yes 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 except for max everybody else (laughs) no really thanks for coming on father it's good to have you um if we could start just maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself just your background how long you've been a priest um kind of some of the assignments you've had as a priest. Uh, yeah, that'd be, I think that'd be a good place to start. Sure. So uh, I'm from a little town in near Savannah called Statesboro, Georgia. And uh, I, uh, I've i been a priest for 30 years now. My father, That's it? That's it. So far. <laughs> it's not too bad. I'm counting. <laughs> I have a, a Baptist father and a Catholic mother. Wow. And, uh, so, and there were no Catholic schools in my little town. So I grew up going to... Um, uh, you know, schools, and I was the only, I was the token Catholic in my mm. class. So oh, yeah. wow. anytime there was a Catholic question, everybody looked at me. That's right. Because I was the only Catholic in the school <laughs> with my brothers and sisters. So, but uh, yeah, grew up and, and uh, had a great upbringing on a farm, learned how to work hard, and um, my mother made sure we practiced our faith. And uh, that was how God, you know, started drawing me towards the priesthood. Yeah. Was there a, maybe a priest that influenced you in that decision, or, or how did that kind of come about? Is there something particular? I had great priests. I had three or four. Just They were always happy. They were always, you know, they were just manly, normal, um, good priests. But when I— Normal priests. Yeah. Yeah, there's no <laughs> such thing. <laughs> yeah. When I was 12 years old, uh, Monsignor Larry Lacree, Father Larry Lacree, was assigned, and uh, he was just— always laughing, making jokes, cutting up. He was just the most joyful guy, so much fun to be around. And he really was the greatest influence on me. Mm. Those were the very formative years when I was really thinking about it. Yeah, that's awesome. That that makes a big difference. I know that in my life, seeing somebody witness to the joy of like living out the gospel radically is always very powerful. Um, We've talked on this podcast a lot about just like, you know, nuns, sisters, a lot of times they're like the most joyful people you've ever met in your life. And that's because they're, they're totally living for Jesus. So, um, that's mm-hmm. really cool. Um, okay. So you, there was this one priest and eventually you made the decision to go to seminary. So what was that? What was I did. That I, I really, I was fascinated by uh, medicine, uh, healing. I wanted to be a, I really wanted to be a doctor and I, you know, I was kind of hell bent and determined. I was going that direction, uh, began to work. I worked at like a veterinary for a while then I started working at a hospital just trying to be around medicine eventually I became an EMT and uh, I really loved that job you know I was an emergency medical technician I was driving the ambulance and going to um, car wrecks and um, and you loved that I loved it wow. that was so exciting and see and blood never bothered me and the, just the challenge and excitement of keeping someone alive and getting till we get them to the ER was fascinating wow the problem was what backfired on me was I started seeing, I say it backfired, I started seeing a lot of people die. And I would pick up people who were DOA, and, and I saw people die in the ambulance. And I would go to Mass on Sunday, and, and I remember praying, oh, Jesus, I want to help people die well. Because I saw so many people die who I wondered if they were ready because they were gone, ready or not. So I remember making that prayer, and I I heard the Lord, and I say I heard the Lord, I mean, no voices, but it was very, very clear. If you want to help people die well, help them live well. And uh, mm. God used that to kind of start pushing me in the air, in direction of priesthood. Yeah, wow, that's 
that's a great story. Yeah, I, I've, I mean, I've didn't, I didn't know that about you. So I mean, we've been around you quite a while now, and I had no idea that. Yeah, that I guess was, Sam uh, just doesn't pay attention. When, I, I just really need to listen talk to, people. to us. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, but I was a uh, I, I I left the priesthood twice. I left the ordinate uh, the seminary twice. Yeah. I went to seminary. I had a real hard time discerning that, and I just I wanted. I was so attracted to holy marriage and having my own family. And, uh, and I was dating in high school and college quite a bit. And uh, I just Wait, kept... so you're telling me <laughs> that you had attractions to marriage as a priest? No. no, no as no, an no. aspiring priest? As an aspiring priest. Right. I was in college, in the yeah. ordinary college. I was at the University of Georgia. That's crazy. Go Bulldogs. And, and I was... Oh, okay, calm down. Everybody hey. calm down in the room. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, but I went to the seminary after right after college. And I stayed for a year after first theology... I left. I just again, the grass was greener. I still kept thinking about marriage and 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 children. I kept thinking about medicine, and so I left and, you know, wanted to pursue that. Dated more. Then I decided to come back. Changed my mind again, second time. At which point, my bishop was not at all happy, <laughs> <laughs> and basically told the vocation director, if he comes back again, I don't know if we'll accept him back. Wow. Because that, I mean, we. I, I remember the bishop said to the vocation director. I think he has a vocation to be a priest, but I'm not sure he's ever going to accept it. And um, this was an, uh, in hindsight, I'm not blaming God on my for my hard head, but in hindsight, God was not only preparing me to be a priest, but a formator of other priests. Wow. And um, yeah, because within two years of ordination, I was made vocation director because, as the bishop told me, in great humility, I had to accept no one else wants the job. You're the only one. <laughs> that was the reason I was I was made vocation director. I loved it. I did it for 10 years. I was a vocation director and a pastor the whole time. And then I was sent to Mount St. Mary's Seminary, the vice rector there for six years. Uh, Then I'm back to be a pastor again. I've been pastor of African-American parishes, Hispanic parishes. I've been pastor of... Gente. Yes, Uh. si, senor. (laughs) You know, very well. I've I've had just a great gamut of experiences in different parishes. What a gift, yeah. Yeah. And I now... um, back again working in a seminary this time as a spiritual director so just had the most wonderful assignments it's just been awesome but most of my life has been working with men who are moving towards priesthood or trying to discern if they should one of the aspects of your priesthood and you've mentioned this to us before father is so right so walking with guys who are discerning the priesthood but also priests themselves right one of the things you you told us that you felt called to is to actually give retreats to priests and kind of help walk with them right yeah really i feel like a vocation within my vocation is to take the care of priests we have a lot of wonderful priests who do a great job with seminarians and work in formation but i told you know the rector here when he hired me i said i really my first call is to take care of priests now there's an obvious bridge of you know and so i'm and i love taking care of the seminarians as well but uh really i came um you know to work in a seminary precisely to give myself more opportunity to take care of priests. Yeah, and that's really <clears throat> that's really great, I think. Um, you've led retreats for us here. I'm sure that there's a lot of priests out there who are uh, benefit very much from, <clears throat> from the retreats you give. Um, and so you've talked about how you've been a vocations director and in part your own discernment. You, you have a lot of experience with discerning the priesthood, right? Discerning right. the diocesan priesthood specifically in your right. own life and walking through the discernment process with young men who are thinking about it. That's right. So for our listeners, for anyone who might be thinking about the priesthood or anyone who's just curious about this aspect of the church, what what is the diocesan priesthood specifically? Maybe in contrast to religious, religious life, um, what are the kind of essential elements of being a diocesan priest? So, so I think a good analogy is, again, the medical analogy, and that is between the general practitioner and the super specialist, you know, between the family doctor and the orthopedic surgeon. Uh, the, the diocesan priest is the GP. You know, we, we baptize, we marry, we bury the dead, we say Mass every Sunday, a little bit of everything. And that's, I love that about being a priest. I love the old people. I love the babies crying right in the middle of the homily. You know, <laughs> I mean, I love every, all, the, 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 all the different stages of life. And every day as a diocesan priest was so different. I mean, I had no idea what was coming that day. What do you? What do you say? Like one of the one of the uh, the vocation of the priesthood is is to to respond to the unexpected, 
right? Or something like that is what you told us. I always, yeah, and I always say to, pray, to priests, we need to pray for the grace of interruptions. Yeah, that's See right. See this little white tab right here in my neck? Yeah. That says to God's people, interrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, because, and, and we have to really become specialists at when we are, quote, interrupted mm. to really show people that they're the most important person in the world right now. Yeah. And give them our attention. The greatest priestly work is done in interruptions, not not planned. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great analogy, actually. I'd never. Um, yeah, I'll have to remember that next time Max comes into my room and interrupts me when I'm trying to get <laughs> schoolwork done. <laughs> start, yeah. Start, start preparing to be a good priest by just letting that happen. <laughs> yeah. So. Turns out he's napping most of the time, so he's lying to all yeah. of you yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like, what do we call that? Um, uh, Napsio Divina, right? Napsio nah. Divina. I dig it. I dig. That's yeah. the best kind of nap. Resting in the presence of the Lord. That's right. So, so Father, you talked about, um, you know, uh, the diocesan priest as a general uh, practitioner, you know. Right. Um, whereas a diocesan priest, or sorry, the, the religious priest is more of a specialist, right? And so each yeah. one brings a different thing to the table. We brought on Father Peter Tottlebin, and he was a Dominican. One of the things that they do is, um, is spread the fruits of their um, contemplation, Right. right. Um, and so the intellectual formation is one of the things that they emphasize in their order. Absolutely. Right? They're very well educated. They're great yeah. teachers and preachers. Uh, I always would say to young men when they were, they would come and say, well, I might want to be uh, a, a Jesuit or a Franciscan or a Dominican. And the questions I would always ask them is I would say, I would ask them why. Why do you think you're called to that? And these are the things I would want them to say that would show me they're on the right track. Number one, they really uh, need to live in community. Yeah. That when they're with other brothers, praying together, working together, the bell rings, there's accountability for one another. They do well. They, they, they thrive, but they don't thrive living alone, as a Dawson priest often will be alone, um, the only guy in a parish, right? Right, mm-hmm. right, right. So that's the first thing. Are, is he really growing in community? Secondly, um, the charism of the community. I would say, what really makes you want to be a Franciscan? I love the poor. I want to take care of the poor. Okay, good answer, right? Uh, so the, the specific charism that they super specialize in, so to speak, the Dominicans preaching, the intellectual life. Third thing is a, a real desire to vow the evangelical councils, poverty, chastity, and obedience. And that is at a, a much deeper level and a more perfect life than what a diocesan priest as a Dawson priest, I make three promises to the bishop, right? Mm. That is to pray the divine office five times a day for God's people. I promise obedience to my bishop and his successors. And I promise to live celibately for the sake of the kingdom, not to get married for the sake of, of bringing souls to Christ because I'm married to the church. And so those promises, whereas a, a, a religious vows poverty, chastity, obedience, they, they, they don't have their own checking account. They have no money. Nothing is theirs is in their name. Okay, um, their vow of, of um, obedience is very direct. I mean, their superior can say today, I want you to clean the uh, wash the towels from the. Okay, that's their job, and they have, they have to really obey. Whereas a parish priest, I mean, every six years we'll get a bishop will call and say, I want to move you to a new assignment, and right. that's yeah. about the extent of our. You know, I mean, other, other than that, if we're doing our job, he's happy as a lark, right? Um, and then, and then of course, chastity, living chastely, not marrying for the sake of the kingdom. Chastity and celibacy, of course, they are, they're by living, uh, radically vowing, ch- what are they doing? They're imitating Christ in a very, very high degree. Jesus had not even a penny. He didn't have, to have a, uh, one coin to pay the temple tax. He had no money. Totally lived poverty. Chastity, he, he didn't come here to get married. He came here to save the world, right? For his, do his father's will. And obedience to the father, even unto death. Even when he had no idea... And, you know, yeah. And oftentimes um, I've heard that, you know, it's emphasized like, well, I don't want to become a priest or I don't think I could become a priest because of celibacy. Like, yeah. But, uh, Father, it, it, in your experience, you can either validate this or negate this. But I've always heard that actually obedience becomes the most difficult uh, because that's something that you think, oh, I got in the bag until you're actually at a certain age. And, you know, a bishop is telling you to do something that you don't necessarily want to do or inclined to do yeah. is that true I think or it depends on i also think it depends on the years you've been a priest which is very interesting 
So every time a young man says to me, oh, Father, I can never become a priest because I like girls too much. (laughs) (laughs) And I say there are 400,000 Catholic priests in the world today. Every one of them, when they were in eighth grade, said, I can never become a priest because I like girls too much. <laughs> They're all priests now, so obviously <laughs> something must have happened, right? Yes, yes. yes. Called God's grace and peace, and th- that we can live happily and joyfully uh, without a wife and children. We do have great intimacy in our lives as priests, yeah. but it's a different kind. You know, Archbishop Sheen used to say that, you know, when you look at sex, money, and power, you look at the life of priests, the early days, it's harder to be chaste, isn't it? So sexuality becomes the hardest thing. In the middle age of our priesthood, um, it's, it's more money, the big parish, you know, having, uh, you know, that type of thing. And then the, the temptation to the, for the older man is, is power. So, but obedience can be very difficult because it really is a dying to self. Yeah. We got to believe God has a plan. His plan is the one that's going to, I have to, I came to, the, to, the, to this seminary precisely because the Holy Spirit made it very, very clear. And my bishop agreed that the Holy Spirit made it very, very right. Clear. Yeah, right. And he sent me here, even though, you know, I probably would not have come this far north. Right, which is actually, you know, when we think about it, a great freedom, right? And a lot of people in our culture today will are under the impression that whenever you're told to do something and you have to kind of obey and submit to it, that's a restriction of your freedom, right? But when the church, especially in this special way, you know, assigns a bishop to a new place or a priest to a new place, if you're under the vow of obedience or you've made a promise of obedience you know very directly what the will of god is for your life and you can know that you'll be set free and um, become the most fulfilled if you follow that will right right. which is a great gift of the priesthood Um, i do have another question father so it's interesting you mentioned you were an emt before you know becoming becoming a priest and you were very acquainted with death Mm -hmm. right and you wanted to help people die well and that was part of your inspiration to entering the seminary and becoming a priest but I know that I'm sure you've continued to have experiences with death since becoming a priest, right? And even probably all the area, all the important areas of human life you've probably been. Can you talk a little bit about that, about your experience as a priest with walking people through life? Yeah. When people ask me, what do I love about being a priest? I really have a hard time saying one because I love it all. I mean, I love baptizing babies and I love burying the dead after 60 years of being a faithful marriage, you know? I love, um, you know, saying mass, preaching, hearing confessions, uh, teaching the kids. The kids are so much fun, you know, going to visit the schools, uh, everything. And then, but I think a priest feels most like a priest when he walks with his people to Calvary. And Mm. that's when people really need their priests. Everybody has to suffer and die with Christ so they can rise with him. And priests are really, this is our vocation, is to walk with people. I had a retreat master who used to always say, um, a priest wears black for death, but he carries an Easter candle with him wherever he goes. So we walk into that hospital room when someone has just died, and we, with our heart, I'm so sorry that your mom has died. Now let's put her in the hands of Jesus and trust that we're going to see her again soon. Amen. We bring faith into that time of death, the light of Christ. And I, I love doing that. People sometimes say, don't you get tired of all the sad things? And I said, well, I have a lot of joyful things, too, <laughs> like this, you know, yeah. just laughing, cutting up. and Yeah. Yeah, that was a good point. And I mean, like I know was my own vocation, as you guys probably could talk about this, but like being a priest is so attractive because you get to be at those intimate moments of people's lives. You know, like you said, you're, you're the baptisms, the marriages and everything in between all the way to death. Um, and though, I mean, people always, they always want the priest at the time when they really need somebody the most, you know, and that's just like... Yeah. What more could you want out of a life? You know, I just think that's such a witness to it. That's tremendous. The intimacy, you know, when you say God does not call us to give up intimacy. And this was the big thing about celibacy and chastity. Right. Now, God loves us infinitely. Intimacy is an essential part of, hum- of a human person. But it's a different kind of intimacy. Every family welcomes us as if we belong to that family. I mean, I, I used to say... Uh, to seminarians living with me, I said, you know, we, I could get in the car and go to any one of 500 families right now, ring the doorbell, and we would be welcomed in for supper and stay as long as we want. Welcomed. And they would be honored. They would say, oh, Father, we're so honored. I'm saying, I'm honored to, to be here. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. 
So, you know, like Sam pointed out that part of the priestly life and something that's attractive to, I think, all three of us in, in here um, aspiring to be a priest is uh, walking with people and uh, the good, but also the ugly. Mm. Talking about ugly, one of the roles of... <laughs> <laughs> He's looking right at me when he said I know, that. Sorry. I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, We're working on our transition. So we are. We're working. <laughs> yeah. I, I meant to look at Sam, but... Uh, <laughs> Part of you, part of one of the aspects of your priesthood has been father um, being an exorcist for your diocese. Is that right? Correct. And you know, this is one of those things where it's tricky because a lot of people fantasize over this kind of thing. And I guess one of the reasons we wanted to bring it up is precisely because um, people forget that this is a role of many priests, and this is a role of every bishop, right? Right. And. Um, there are a lot of great things that uh, we look forward to in the priesthood, but one of the aspects is this this dark side, if you will, um, or maybe not, right? So maybe you can shed some some light on uh, on on exorcisms and maybe give a, a, a you know some hope and just sure. a basic idea of, of what that actually is. Well, first of all, evil comes from you know historically, traditionally, we say in the Catholic Church, it comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the culture, right? Right. Um, the, our flesh. Why do I do that which I do not wish to do? Why do I sleep late or eat too much? Okay. And then, but the devil's real. Uh, Satan and his angels are real. And uh, he only roams as free as God allows him to be. But God does allow him to interact with our lives to, it's very fascinating. I mean, God originally made the angels to do what? To help us get to heaven. He still makes them do their job even though they do it through evil now. Yeah, that's He makes them do their job uh, by trying to tempt us. And uh, But uh, I think as, especially in a post-Christian culture, as Jesus is more and more pushed out, uh, it's, you, we're going to see more and more of the demonic, and we're seeing it already. Uh, pope St. John Paul II requested when he was pope that every diocese, every bishop name an exorcist and have him trained. And only in recent times has you know, training programs, historically, you would just be an apprentice. You'd go find an exorcist and stay with him for six months, and that's how you learned. But now we actually have schools that will train. Every priest, in virtue of his ordination, has the power of exorcism. So the bishop is the chief exorcist of the diocese, and um, but every priest has the power. But, uh, but, a, but the bishop will designate one or more priests as exorcists and send them for training so that they have practiced the right of the church, and, and it can be dangerous. And so you really do, you have to know what you're doing, and you have to also, the first thing you have to know is that you're nothing, and Jesus is everything. Yeah. I mean, that humility, you go in proud, and you the devil will chew you up and spit you out. Mm -hmm. So you really have to go in and understand that Jesus is everything, and the Blessed Mother. And, um, but it, you know, most of my, uh, you know, a priest friend asked me uh, recently, I've been actually maybe four years, he said, what, are you, what have you learned? And I said, I have learned how exciting sanctifying grace is. How exciting it is to be filled with, possessed by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They live inside of us. They're with love and our invitation, right? Yeah. See, everything the devil does is counterfeit. He takes the good God has done, and then he tries to mimic it in an evil way. And so it's kind of like a, a, a photographic negative showing us the beauty of what God has done. Wow. Yeah, well, and it's really interesting because people in my, at least in my point of view, or what I've seen is people are really drawn to exorcisms, right? They they flock to it. There's movies made about yeah, it. Yeah, it's I dramatized mean, in Hollywood. Exactly, and, and everybody loves to talk about that. But they forget about the other side of things and how Christ works. And it's, it's inter interesting how that works out. But my question about this is, I guess I guess if I'm right to think this, you know, a lot of times I, I remember I was talking to somebody thinking they needed an exorcism. And I was like, well, are you Catholic? And then I was like, they said no. And I said, well, you don't need an exorcist. You need to go get baptized. You need to go to confession. You need to go to mass. You know, the, the, the sacraments are much more powerful than the exorcist is. is that, am I correct in saying that? Thousands of times more powerful maybe millions, every sacrament is a thousand times more powerful than the right. The exorcist, rite of exorcism is a sacramental, right. which means a little sacrament, but it does not have the power. Now, when it's needed, it really fits the bill when a person is really yeah. possessed or, or has you know, demonic obsession or uh, oppression. 
Yeah. The sacraments, you're right. Yeah. One of the things I also wanted to discuss um, pertaining to this, Father, is that oftentimes people have this idea that the church has this overly spiritualized vision of exorcists, of exorcisms, whereas it's only spiritual and doesn't take into account the psychological or the potential psychological exactly. um, issues, which is not the not the case and definitely not part of your instruction as becoming an exorcist, right? Part of your education was precisely to be certified in certain psychological, um, right? Have so, certain psychological credentials, right? Yes. Well, we have um, certainly, you know, people say, oh, that's just with a person is acting as if they're possessed that's just mental illness or that's just, um, uh, you know, grandma seizures or something like that. And uh, so we certainly acknowledge that very often people who do have some type of mental issue, maybe not diagnosable, but depression, obsessive compulsive anxiety or something like that. Um, And because of that, especially um, because of the, the way the devil attacks, he attacks the memory and he attacks the imagination. He can't attack your intellect, and he can't attack your will. But he can attack your memory, the past, and right, and torture you there. And then he puts you into the future and attacks your imagination so that you catastrophize and, you're, and you become depressed, despair of the future. God wants you living in the present mm. with him. It's honestly crazy to hear you. I, I've actually heard you talk about this before, obviously, because I've been around you and everything and doing retreats and stuff. But when I hear you talk about that, especially that really hits home because I know in times of like when I've struggled, like the devil really goes at those two things, you know, and he really uses those things. So it's like somebody kind of like telling you what you're thinking, you know, and it's like, yes. wow, that's uh, that's 100 percent correct. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Father. Do you guys have any more questions about that or uh, not particularly? We could okay. probably move on from that. But no, yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that with us, Father, because I think there's a lot of confusion out there about it. Like yeah. we said in the, in Hollywood, is, is there anything else you'd want to add? But what I would we... say is that sometimes people, they say, well, let's, uh, you know, I have problems. Um, I think there's some diabolical things going on, some demonic things. So they call an exorcist because they want the exorcist to, quote, throw out the demon right. or demons, almost always more than one. And. Then they say, then I'll be well. But that's not true. As Sam said so correctly, um, sometimes people aren't ready for an exorcism. exorcism. You throw out what, demons seven, what does the gospel say? Seven worse will come back mm-hmm. if you're not ready. And so if you're, I always say, you ever go to the fair and there's a little wooden man next to the to the uh, roller coaster It says, if you're not at least this high, don't get else at this ride. <laughs> yeah. okay. What that means is for your safety. Sometimes a person will ask for an exorcism, but they're not praying. They're not going to Mass. They're not praying the Rosary. They're not going to confession. Their relationship with Jesus is not there. And if I were to have a successful exorcism, they would probably be worse off because they've wow. got to get their, they got to get up to speed for that exorcism because it's the faith. It's, no, it's not a secret weapon. It's prayer and the sacraments, just like Sam said. Right. Yeah, they're not disposed to receiving the grace God wants to give them, even if they are in need of it. Right. Yeah. Well, well, like, oh, sorry. Just the last thing I just want to make a point because I think it's a big confusion is that is the devil can only possess the body when God permits, whereas God alone can possess the soul. The kapax day, the the capacity for God in the human soul is infinite. So the soul is capable of having the Blessed Trinity live there. So the devil tries to counterfeit it by this. Really, it's such, you know pitiful actually compared to what god does right which is which is crazy right a lot of us forget that by virtue of our baptism we have the holy trinity dwelling within us right we usually play that down yeah and a lot of the i think a lot of the growth and holiness um consists in coming to realize just how insane and real that is right like that 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 reality is present within us and um coming to live in relation with him who lives within us um and, Father, to, and to love the person in front of you because they're also possessed by the Holy Trinity. That's right. Which gives them an infinite dignity. That's right. right. Love of God and love of neighbor, right? Um, Father, based on something you said a second ago, you mentioned a post-Christian society or post-Christian culture. You've been a priest for 30 years. Yes. Can you talk about just the what has changed in the culture um, during that time and the different challenges that have arisen in our, that you see in our culture now, as opposed to maybe when you started off being a priest? Yeah. So the last 30 years, I would say I'm doing 70% fewer weddings now 
And when I was seventy percent, now of course I'm in the seminary right now. I'm not doing that's weddings. true. There's <laughs> not, not many weddings going when on. When I was in a, when I was in the in the parish, um, people not getting married. It used to be the basic assumption, the underlying assumption of life was Christendom. You grow up, you marry, even if you're not going to mass. You just kind of believe the Ten Commandments are what defines us as good. And, and yeah, we know we're going to die and go to heaven. And what are you supposed to do? You get married, you have children, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, that is no longer the underlying assumption. And, and this is what we call post-Christian culture. We're kind of returning to an apostolic age, Christendom, where Christ and his teachings are kind of the underlying assumption of life, is no longer true except in certain pockets of faith. Mm-hmm. And that changes our lives as priests drastically. We almost have to go back to being apostles again, depending on the Holy Spirit. And we got to preach kerygma, basic Christ has died, Christ has risen. You know, we were, uh, we were in church history today, and we were kind of talking about this. And one of the figures that comes to mind as you're talking is Athanasius during the Arian controversy, right? Um, he was exiled so many times. But it was like through his example that he was able to, you know, and through his the, the book on the incarnation, yes. um, that so many people converted. And the Nicene Creed, which we profess at every mass or sorry, on Sundays, I should say, and solemnities, that um, that kind of reinforces who Christ is and who we who we as Christians are. And it's like through little pods of of, of people and example and witnesses yes. that the world can change. Pope Francis know? writes that that holiness is the most attractive face of the church. Mm. And that um, we are coming to a time where just being an average, oh yeah, I go to Mass on Sunday and punch my ticket, Catholic, it's not going to do it. We have to have saints. We have to truly be holy and committed to Christ. That's what brings other people to right. Him. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You hear that, Sam? Yeah, I know, right? I, I got to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Father, um, I kind of want to transition here a little bit because, Father, if I know you guys don't know him all that well, but we do. He's a great storyteller. Um, <laughs> one of the best storytellers I ever, I've ever encountered, actually. Uh, so I always love listening to him talk, whether it's at the you know dining room table or just you know when he's giving retreat or whatever. But, Father, I was wondering if you could share with us, like, and we're pointing on your spot a little bit, um, but just like your favorite stories to tell about your priesthood, you know, because I think it's really helpful for people, you know, to hear about the priest's everyday life and the things that he loves to do kind sure. of in a, a, you know, actual personal way, you know. Uh, so do you, is there anything that comes to mind that maybe you could share with us a couple of those stories? I've got hundreds, but I'll tell you two. <laughs> okay, great, <laughs> great. All right. Um, one of them was uh, in the last 10 years when I was a pastor of Blessed Sacrament Church in Savannah, Georgia, which is, of course, is on the right on the Savannah River in the ocean, and it's a huge port, literally thousands and thousands of ships. Well, one day I received a call from one of my prisoners who's a, a maritime lawyer that a ship had been arrested off the coast of Savannah. Now, what does that mean? I was just about to ask yeah, that. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea. Well, what that means is that basically it's just like when you uh, can't make your car payment and it's repossessed. Oh, my gosh. Um, they basically happens with a ship. By the way, here's 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 the joke. Do you know what happens if you don't pay your exorcist? You get repossessed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Since we were talking about it, I thought yeah, I'd throw yeah, that in. Yeah. You know. So anyway, he said, Father, he said, um, he said, the bank I represent is taking possession of this ship because the owner is not making his payments. The problem is there's 30 crewmen. Most are from the Philippines. They're Catholics. And they're stuck for they're going to be as much as six months by the time we get this ship on the world market. We get the title transferred, and they need, but they, they don't have papers, immigration papers, to be able to come in to Savannah. They're a mile off the coast. Would you go and say Mass for them, hear their confessions? And so I got my parishioners who were just so wonderful. They all have these big boats. I have tons of parishioners in the business. And they would bring me out to that ship, and I would then tie a, a, a rope around my mast kit, and they would pull it up. It's like, it's like four stories high. And then I would climb up this rope ladder oh my and, um, and, and get crazy. to the top of the ship. And then the, the, the little Filipinos, they were just so lovely. They're you know, such humble, good people, yeah. wonderful Catholics. Father, Father, thank you so much. I'd hear their confessions. I would celebrate Mass, um, talk to them. Then they, they uh, wanted me to go make deposits at the bank for them. I mean, all <laughs> kinds of things. I, I, went, I, went, I went home one day with like $10,000 in cash to deposit <laughs> You know, from different things that they were all because there were like, you know, there was a bunch of them yeah. on there. And they were buying things, you know, from 
uh, uh, Amazon and things like that. Uh, wanted fishing lures. But anyway, uh, several times, you know, regularly I would go out and, um, and, and minister to them. And I remember thinking to myself, only in the priesthood. Wow. You know, to be able to do that kind of work. Um, the other story, uh, eventually it ended happily. Uh, uh, maritime, U.S. maritime law is, is, is very, very uh, uh, good compared to most countries of the world. Because the U.S. maritime law says when a ship is arrested, um, the bank that owns the ship has to take care of the crew, feed them, make sure they have everything they want. And whereas if that had been elfing up the coast of some other countries, they would have been all on their own, starving, oh fishing, whatever. And uh, yeah, That's so so that they were kind of lucky. But at the end, um, when the new owner bought the ship, the part of the contract was you have to fly the crew home or give them another job if they want to stay. Every one of them chose to be flown home. Wow. So they were put on planes and flown back to their families. Wow. You know? so oh, wow. That ended happily. You know? Yeah, that's good. good. The other story uh, happened in my second year as a priest. I was in Albany, Georgia. And um, it was uh, the first time I'd ever encountered anything. Uh, we had youth group on Sunday night. There were about 60 kids there. And, um, you know, uh, just had a great time. And um, on Monday morning, uh, I uh, got an emergency phone call from the police to come to the house. And one of the little boys who had been at um, our youth group had uh, shot himself. He had put him, he had gone into a... Um, you know, he just into a room with a high-powered rifle, and he had shot himself and um, committed suicide. And uh, so that I drove out to the house that morning, and uh, i never forget. I mean, it was, it was, it was so horrible. Um, I'm sorry, I got the days wrong. It was on a, it was a Friday night. The youth group is Saturday was the, um, that when he killed himself. And uh, so anyway, when I pulled up at the house, the police were asking me to come the whole family was running, just kind of saw me, and they started running across the lawn toward me uh, and just, you know, just crying. And, uh, and I remember thinking, gosh, they never, what do I, I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, and they never taught me this in the seminary. Lord, help me. And, you know, and I just hugged them, and I, we went straight into their house, and we started praying the rosary. And I anointed, um, you know, conditionally gave anointing of the sick to the young man. And... Um, you know, I was there for a couple of hours, and we started talking. I just let them talk, you know, and wondering, you know, to started talking about the funeral. But I had to go because I had a, a wedding that started at noon back at the church. And so at like 1030, uh, I, I had to get back to the church. And uh, I'll never forget, I was standing there. They started playing, here comes the bride, and here comes this, you know, beautiful young woman who's ready to, to get married. Her, her fiancé is right there, happiest day of their life. You know, they were, she was, they were just beaming. And I remember watching her walk down the aisle and saying to myself, gosh, this morning I was with a family in the most horrible day of their life, and now I'm with another family in the best. And I said, only in the life of a priest. And I had to be present to both, you know. And if that is God's grace, I, I, there's no way I could have done that humanly, you know, but God gave me the grace to be there and to be present appropriately. And, and after that day, I remember thinking, Jesus is going to take care of me. Wow. That's a, yeah. that's a crazy story. So I don't even know, I don't even know what to say. No, literally, I, uh, I actually don't know what to say either. <clears throat> well, I, I mean, it's interesting because in seminary, they always tell us like, you know, the priest is like, you're going to be doing different things. You know, on some days you're going to be baptizing babies. Sometimes, right. you know, like all of it at once, you know, weddings, everything, Eucharist, funerals. So when you tell us stories like that, it just, it's like a reminder that you, you when we're in seminary, the things that we're like practicing or the things that we're studying or the things that we're doing every day, it really, it, it's very practical to what we will be doing once we get, you know, out of seminary. Now, I know we can't really like be prepared for stuff like that. Obviously, that's just... That's a God's grace. story, God's grace, um, but it's just it kind of you know gives that fire in your in your belly as a young man. You're like you know I'm fire I'm, in your belly. Well, <laughs> there's other ways to put it, I guess, but that's how we're gonna put it. And um, well, that's one of the things we teach you know here, of course, is the yeah. importance of prayer, and that we begin our day with holy hour. We and the reason is so that we will be ready for whatever's coming. Yeah. 
because <clears throat> as you said, Father, it's we can't do it alone. No. Right? It's all. In fact, the vocation to the priesthood is the vocation to be Jesus Christ to the people and allow him to live through you, right? And Absolutely. it can't be you doing it. It has to be it has to be him. Um thank you for sharing those stories. Uh, I'm wondering cuz we have many listeners and I some of them might be thinking about the priesthood. <clears throat> it's possible and you've done great work as vocations director, I know, and in, in seminaries. What what advice would you have for anybody uh who might be listening to us and is thinking about uh, the diocesan priesthood for steps for discernment, things that they should start incorporating into their life to kind of try to figure out what God's will is for them. Sure. Well, I think, first of all, you know, what Sam said earlier is just practice Christianity. Practice your Catholic faith. And that means pray every day, but really pray. Don't just say your prayers. You know, lift up your heart. Go to Mass on Sunday. Go to the sacraments. The second thing, if you're thinking God might want you to be a priest or just wondering, go tell your priest. Just tell him, I'm thinking about it, Father. Would you pray over me? Can you give me some advice? Depending on how old you are and how far along, go ahead and talk to the vocation director. He's not going to pressure you. He's going to give you good information, invite you to things, retreats. Remember, I'll, you'll, I'll often say to you guys, you know, some men are called to, to the seminary who are not called to be priests, right? Right, right. Yeah. God calls some men, gets them ready, and then pulls them out, and they do great work in the church as laymen, don't they? And so I would say to young people, do not be afraid. That's of the devil. The devil wants us to live in fear and make decisions based on fear. Jesus says, do not be afraid. We make decisions based on prayer, faith, and hope and love, not fear. I remember um, the, the priest that was pivotal in my discernment process when I, you know, when we started talking about the priesthood and one of the, I was hoping he was give me would give me this huge theological insight, and I was like, "Father, what's the next step?" And he was like, "I think the next step is that you help me altar serve." Mm. I was like, "No, like no. Why would I? Do? I'm in college. Why would I do that? That's, that's that's ridiculous." I left that behind. He's like, "No, that's seriously. That's how you start. You make the people known that you that, that you know you 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 show the people that you care about them, and and then you you show your loyalty to the church, and that you care, and that you actually are going to practice and take this serious. And part of that means." You serve in the immediate capacities that you can. Mm -hmm. And this is one way that I need your help. And this is one way that you can also serve the church. And I know we're just like what Sam's saying, like sometimes we like to overthink, well, maybe God's going to shine a light on my face as I pray and tell me <laughs> I'm going to hear this giant deep voice. But then oftentimes like, no, just like go serve, you know, just go like go help mm -hmm. out your local priest, you know. Uh, I like to say, you know, with young men, the, the four, I call them the four eyes of, of discernment. So they are inspiration invitation, information, intimacy with the person of Jesus, and the S stands for service. Hmm. So first thing, you see your priest saying Mass, there's something moving in your heart, you're like, wow, look at this, I could do that. This is truly the body and blood of Christ. Oh my gosh. Okay, it can happen a million ways, that inspiration. You're thinking about it now. Second thing, and this is so important for priests and seminarians, we invite. We see a young man who's kind of hanging around. He's staring at the priest. He says mass. And we say, you know what? If God were calling you, you'd make a good priest. So I'm going to say right now to anybody listening, as a Catholic priest, I'm inviting you to consider priesthood right now. You've been invited. Okay? Um, and just do the will of God. Happiness, do the will of God. All right? The third thing is you've got to get information of what to do next. And you need to go to your vocation director websites, right? Get things to read that'll take you along. Uh, and th the fourth one is intimacy, as we just said. We gotta talk. We gotta talk to Jesus. If we're not praying, then fear is gonna reign. And we're gonna start saying, oh, I can never not be married and be happy, or I can never preach in front of all those people, or I could never do what Father just said about that, and that story. Remember, you can do all things through Christ. You can do nothing without him. John 15, Philippians 4. I can do Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so we want to bounce back and forth between those two scriptures. And then, as you just said, find a way to serve. You're going to follow Jesus. you got to serve others. And oftentimes, you, guess you find a way to serve, your vocation becomes clear. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I know, I know from my own life, too, like when I started serving Mass, it was really like a that's that's what was a game changer for me because I started to be, you know, real close to the altar and I could I started putting myself there, you know, and I started thinking, yeah, that's something I feel like I could do. You know, that's something I feel like I could be when I 
when I grow up. So that was a big deal for me when Absolutely. I started doing that too. Yeah, and in discernment, I'm, I know that actually just taking concrete steps right in in any direction is very important. You have Father has a great line. I'm going to steal his thunder, but he says. <laughs> God can't drive a parked car, so move, right? So you got to get going, right? You got to actually make decisions and, uh, you know, contact your vocations director or start serving, like Max said. So that's a big part of discernment. Yeah, well, getting out of of, of the Lord's way, too. You know, a lot of times, I don't know, for my vocation, I was in the Lord's way. I'm I'm not talking about that. I didn't think that, you know. It's like, just relax and... Just follow the Lord wherever he takes you, you know? And part of our, uh, you guys can speak about this too, but like part of my discernment process as it continues, it's like slowly liberating, like slowly being voluntarily choosing what what I'm discerning God wants for me. It's like being disposed. Okay, God, maybe this is for me. So, okay, let's come to seminary. Okay, God, I'm a year in. Maybe you're calling me a little further. Okay, now I'm going on my third year. All right, God, this is getting a little more real. I'm signing formal pieces of paper now and uh kind of thing and it's like there's something freeing about it you know and so like uh, you know as, as we're all kind of expressing it's like if you have a desire take that concrete step just move just do something that's a know? great point matt you know a lot of times young people say father i'm asking jesus if he wants me to become a priest and he won't answer me and i say to them because you're not ready for the answer he wants you on your knees begging him and listening and what he's doing is he's changing your heart so that you'll be able to take the answer when it comes. So if he's not answering, you're not ready for the answer. Keep praying. Mm. So, Father, that was all great, by the way. But I want to transition here a little bit. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. Sorry. Count on Sam for the transitions. Yep. Mine are really abrupt. Max tries to work it in. I just, <laughs> nope, we're doing this. Um, but so... Basically, Father's been coming, going around the seminary, and he's been saying, you know, I, I've been asking every bishop and uh, director of vocations that I see about the, fir- the five books they would read or recommend to me as a spiritual director. Right. And uh, so I'm going to turn that question back on you. As, the, as people discerning calls for life, what are the five books that you would tell them that they need to read? Obviously? If they're discerning priesthood. D- priesthood, yes. Yeah, I would say, I would just like to butt in and say, To Save a Thousand Souls by Father Brett Brandon. That's a good oh, book. I hear, I hear right? that <laughs> book. That book is not too good, really. I just, <laughs> it's kind of heretical. Yeah, you know, kind of. <laughs> you know, I'm a little, what Sam was saying is, I have a little project going right now, and I'm asking spiritual directors and rectors around the country if you could just give me five books that you would not want a man to be ordained until he's read what would those five books be now most of them say i'll give you a hundred i said no i want five (laughs) see it's a lot easier to give me a hundred yeah but i said they can't read a hundred books a year they've already got all these this work to do and then what i want to do is i'm going to gather all that data and i'm going to take the ones who are mentioned the most and i'm going to try to craft a you know a yearly plan of some suggestions different people like different kind of books some like more intellectual i know max you're you're you like a little bit more of an intellectual book different people like different kinds of books but we and this would include you know books on the priesthood on the spiritual life on prayer but also catholic novels you know and good catholic reading all the different genres yeah yeah so is there is there is there a book or maybe four books or three books or maybe yeah. five books <laughs> yeah. that you would recommend? Or is there a couple books that you th- are thinking immediately for guys who want to develop their spiritual life? Maybe one and then choose maybe somebody that's for somebody that's discerning the priesthood. Once again, I think it depends upon age and education. You know, I mean, first of all, like everybody mentions St. Augustine's Confessions. Right. But, you know, a freshman in high school is typically not ready for St. Augustine's Confessions. It's a hard book to read, but it's profound, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But even like the Chronicles of of Narnia, you know, just good uh, uh, books like that that are just loaded with Christian imagery, you know, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, I I love Dr. Peter Kreft. I think he's got great, uh, one of his books, a couple of his books, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Heaven But Never Dreamed of Asking. That is a wonderful book. It's so interesting. Would you recommend a couple books that come to mind, uh, Father? And I know you have a lot of respect for him. You mentioned him in a lot of your conferences. Is uh, Father Jacques Philippe? Yes. Right. So those books, uh, would you say those are accessible to people of all areas? I mean, I know uh, Interior Freedom when it first came out was sent to me by a priest, and I was a little younger, 
But um, I don't know. Do you would you recommend Absolutely. him? Absolutely. You know, he's yeah. a, he's a, a spiritual giant. Yeah. And he has a tremendous way of describing prayer and the spiritual life. And he's written a number of books. Yeah. And I, yeah, and they and they're able to be read by people at right. different levels. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. um, C.S. Lewis. Always. Always love C.S. Lewis. Gerald Tolkien. You know, Tolkien. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Lord of the Rings is just like good Catholic literature, really. It's just get exposed to literature in general and then maybe yes. take a step. Death Comes for the Archbishop. Uh, I have not read that book, actually. Yeah, that's a great book. Willem Cather. To it a little bit. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Right on. Well, Father, I thank you for everything you've expressed to us. Thank you for some of your personal experiences and being vulnerable with us and sharing some of those stories that are that are close to, to your heart. Um, thank you for, for taking the time to, to, to be with us and to be a spiritual director here at our seminary. We have a lot of respect for you. And I know a lot of priests that from back home that have a lot of respect to you and speak very highly about you. And I, I, you know, I'm excited that you're here um, with us in our studio, quote unquote, hmm. um, with a possibly stolen chalkboard or not. <laughs> and um, thank you for coming on. Is there any last remarks you want to give us before uh, we conclude this episode? Well, I'll say... I love working in the seminary. I love working with you guys. And I just, the, the I, and I, I go to a lot of different seminaries for retreats and I see men as fine as you all, not, not quite as fine, but, but thank you. Very thank you. fine men <laughs> all over the country. The men that are becoming priests. There's so much hope for the church. They love the Lord. They, they're, they're balanced men. They love the people of God. And, and they have so much hope for the church and the priesthood right now. So I would say if you're listening, do not be afraid. Amen. Step forward. Thank you, Father. We, pre- we really appreciate having you on. Sorry, excuse me. Um, but uh, we usually end every episode with me inviting everybody to smash these it's subscribe buttons. It's not much buttons. of an invitation. It's kind of forceful. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> it's an invitation. Just like we invite them to consider the priesthood, right. we invite them to smash the subscribe button. <laughs> Notice the aggression behind this statement. <laughs> well, guys, thank you all for tuning into this episode. I hope you all found it informative. I hope you'll learn something. And if you didn't, you can blame Sam. (laughs) But as always, God bless.